0: first samuel chapter 17 if you have a bible go ahead and open up there uh, we are continuing our series entitled friends family and foes timmy kicked it off last week timmy will be back this next weekend preaching one of in my opinion the best messages on saul i have ever heard all right so if you have a little bit of a saul situation in your life or you know someone who does drag them to church next weekend also Cody Carnes will be leading worship next weekend. So if you look around and you see there isn't a a plethora of empty seats, so next weekend, please be here early or come on Saturday night and just watch football all day on Sunday, okay? But don't show up late next weekend, all right? Okay, this weekend we are taking a look at one of the foes in King David's life. Timmy said it last week, and many of us, when we think about the three categories of people, friends, family, and foes, we look and say, check, check, heck no. I don't want opponents, I don't want someone opposing me, I don't want an enemy, I don't want a foe. And here's what you have to remember, some of God's best work is done in you and through you using an enemy in your life. Some of the best growth I have ever experienced in my life thus far has come in a fight with an enemy I did not want to scrap with. Foes are a part of growth. And let me say it like this. If Jesus really did conquer death and hell, then his followers should be the most fearless people on the earth if he really conquered death, we should be the most fearless people alive. Now, some of you, if if you're of the mindset, I don't like opposition, I don't like enemies, I definitely don't want foes, then you are going to be disgusted by this title. Okay? Here's the title of this weekend's message. Everyone needs a Goliath. And I'm gonna spend the next 40 minutes of your life trying to convince you how badly you need one. We all do. And in point number four, you'll really see why. Let me give you four things. If you're going to understand just why all of us need a Goliath, you need to understand this first thing. Point number one, everyone needs a Goliath to prepare for. How many would say you're in a not yet season right now? I'm in a not yet, just put your hand up, look around. Yeah, I just spent over a decade in one. Not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Have you ever stopped to ponder why you're in a not yet season? I think one of the biggest reasons God puts us in a not yet season is because if God let you face your Goliath today, you would lose. Anytime he puts you in a not yet season, he's saying you're not yet ready for the foe I'm asking you to fight tomorrow. Every day you don't have to fight the giant is a day you must spend preparing to defeat the giant. Because everyone needs a giant, everyone will absolutely face at least one giant in their life. The Philistines were the biggest threat to Israel in David's day. And Goliath was their poster boy. He was the giant all the other giants wanted to be. He was the big bad boy of the Philistine army. David had no idea how big the giant he would face would be. But I think he knew the giant would be big and here's why. Timmy talked about last week that the moment that Samuel anointed David with oil to become the next king of Israel, what happened? the Holy Spirit came upon him in power from that day forward. I personally think once the Holy Spirit came upon David in power, he knew something was entirely different. And I just wonder if there wasn't a moment where he was like, wait a minute here. If the Holy Spirit's coming upon me in power, like this, another way to say it is, if the Holy Spirit is granting me a measure of access to his power, At this stage of my life, the giant I'm one day going to face must be incredibly large because otherwise I'd have no need for all this power. And so I think David went to work in the field of anonymity preparing while no people were watching him. People act like that that God was the one who supernaturally directed the rock into Goliath's forehead That's not true. David had practiced thousands and thousands of hours while no one was watching. Knocking over cans. He was preparing while no one was watching. First Samuel chapter 17 if you're there let's start in verse 34 and we're going to jump around all over chapter 17. I'm not gonna cover it in its entirety. If you want all the details of what went down between David and Goliath, at some point this week, just spend some time reading the entire chapter. But we're gonna bounce around. I'm gonna point your attention to a couple of things. Look at verse 34, David persisted. Now, the the context here, Saul just told him, you can't go fight Goliath. And watch his response. David says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club like a Texan and rescue the lamb from its mouth. (laughs) If the animal turns on me, I, like a Texan, catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears. Interesting, he uses the plural. I've done this to lions and bears, plural. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David says, listen, I know you haven't been watching what's been going down in the movie called My Life, but I've been sitting in the front row watching God rescue me from every foe he puts in front of me. And what I've seen God do with the lions and the bears, I will see God do today with this stupid giant. This is a boy talking like this. How could a boy talk to a king like this? Here's the answer. The boy was more prepared to fight the giant than the king ever could be. God had been preparing him for the fight of his life. If you're in a not yet season, God is giving you time to learn how to win. And he's using the lion and the bear. Well Preston, what's the lion and the bear in my life? Well, typically it looks something like this. Whatever you are most frustrated with or by, God will use like the bear to help you learn how to conquer something before he sends you out to fight the big something. It's all about preparation. If you think, I've told you this before, when young leaders say, my call is huge, don't tell me, show me your preparation. I can tell how large you actually think your call is based on your measure of preparation while no one's watching. Your talk doesn't mean jack, your preparation does. Everybody needs a Goliath to prepare for. Goliath is David's divine exit from anonymity, as well as his supernatural entrance onto history's main stage. But David would have stumbled when he stepped had he not spent his days faithfully preparing for a giant he didn't even know was being prepared for him to face. Here's the second thing that I think we need to understand about having a Goliath. Everyone needs a Goliath to learn from. Everyone needs a Goliath to learn from. How many of you would say, I'm facing a Goliath right now? Just put your hand up. Yeah, put it up high. Let's look around. Don't don't hesitate. Don't hide it. Yeah, lots. Lots. Have you ever wondered why you're facing a Goliath? I think God loves to use Goliaths as some of Earth's greatest classrooms for his children to learn in. There are just some things only a Goliath can teach you. The hindsight which comes from defeating a Goliath brings an education no institution in the world could ever provide. So why would you ever back down from a Goliath that's bearing down on you? There's something God wants to teach you. Today's Goliath is simply today's teacher of lessons, which will be on tomorrow's test. God is with you and he's trying to teach you something. And he's going to prove both by divinely enabling you to defeat your Goliath. God uses today's giant to teach you lessons required to successfully steward tomorrow's responsibilities. Your victory over Goliath today is what God uses you, uses to prepare you to steward everything he asks you to do tomorrow. Don't just defeat Goliath. Learn everything you can from fighting Goliath. And as you do, you will realize the lessons you learned weren't about Goliath. They were about what God asked you to do tomorrow. What did David learn from his Goliath? In order to help you understand that Goliath really is one of the best classrooms on the earth for God's children to learn in, I need to convince you of this thing, so I'm gonna show you using David, all right? I gotta breeze through this, but I wanna give you a couple of things that David learned via Goliath that came in extremely handy later as Israel's king. Okay, here's the first thing that David learned. Ordinary assignments can lead to supernatural victories. Look at verse 17 in chapter 17. One day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. Here's what you need to notice, especially for the young leaders among us. David wasn't being sent off to war. David was being sent with a charcuterie board to visit his brothers who were at war. David wasn't carrying a sword. He was carrying his mother's favorite board. You know how many people I get around who gripe about the small things God asks them to do? because apparently they think it's beneath them. What would have happened if David would have looked at his father when his father said, take the charcuterie to your brothers and their captains? What would have happened if David would have said, no, I'm the next king of Israel, that's beneath me. Here's what would have happened. He never would have stood before Goliath and defeated him. An ordinary assignment is what God used to lead to his supernatural victory. Here's another way to say this, stop saying no to the small things. Oftentimes, small things lead to the biggest of things when God is in the request. David learned this from his path to Goliath. Here's a second thing he learned. David learned never to listen to people who don't listen to God. Look in verse 32. David says to Saul, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Listen to what Saul says. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. Okay. now remember what had happened by this time. David had already been anointed the next king of Israel. But Saul was still the seated king of Israel. Why had David been anointed king of Israel? Because God said, I regret that I ever even made Saul king. And then God tells us why. He says, because he doesn't obey my commands. Here's another way to say it. He doesn't listen to me when I ask him to do something. Specifically, this is related to the Amalekites. God had said, wipe out all of the Amalekites. Saul and his men wiped out almost all of the Amalekites. He let the king live. And that ended up being the beginning of the end of Saul's reign. And the reason was he wasn't listening to God. Think about it like this. This man who isn't listening to God says to this boy, you can't go fight this giant. You're just a boy. Is that how God was talking at the very same time? Not at all. Had David listened to Saul when Saul wasn't listening to God, David never would have confronted the giant God created him to conquer. Why? Because some guy who wasn't listening to God said the boy couldn't. Think about this. Think about how this would come in handy later in David's life when he became king, when he was surrounded by some who listened to God, like Nathan, and we'll talk about him in a couple of weeks, and then others who weren't listening to God. One of the most important lessons in his leadership, he learned on his path to Goliath. And this lesson saved his bacon multiple times when he was seated as king and Saul no longer was. David learned never to listen to anybody who isn't listening to God. Here's the third thing he learned. David learned you're not anointed to wear anybody else's coat. Look in verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. The fastest way for David to lose to Goliath would have been for David to try and fight him like he were Saul. Saul says, listen, you can't go out there and fight him. David is unrelenting. Saul says, fine, take my armor, it's your only chance. Take my sword, it's your only chance. David puts it on and he goes, this ain't gonna work. I can't go out and fight my giant pretending to be you. This reminds me of when the Lord sent me out to Scottsdale. Before he sent me, two of the clearest things I ever heard him say related to me in this city were these two things. He said, Preston, do everything I tell you to do while you're in Scottsdale and be who I made you to be and no one else. See, at that time, I had a little bit of a tendency to mimic my heroes because I thought that's what honor was. You know, the fastest way for David to dishonor Saul would have been to pretend to be Saul and then go lose to Goliath. The best way to honor Saul as king would be just to go out and do what you know you do when God stands with you that will see the giant fall. David learned this. Think about how handy this came in in his life on down the road. Remember when he was in the cave and some of his boys were in the cave and Saul, by chance, happens to wander into the cave David and his men are hiding in to go to the bathroom. And what did David's men say? This is it. The Lord's delivered Saul into your hands. Bro, you gotta kill him. And what does David say? Preston's paraphrase, I can't. That's what you would do, not what I would do. God is with me, and you don't take out God's man, even if God's man is chasing you. And so I'll cut off the corner of his garment just to send a message that if I wanted to kill him, I could have, but I didn't, and I won't because I'm not you. I've got to be who God called me to be. He learned this lesson on his path to Goliath. You're not anointed to wear anybody else's coat. Listen to me closely. As it relates to you fighting your giant, you cannot fight your giant the way your mother fought hers. You can't wear her coat of armor. She was an intercessor, but that's not the grace on your life. You got to use the stones God's given you, not the sword he gave her. Don't wear someone else's coat. There is a coat that has been divinely fashioned to fit you and you alone. The fastest way to lose to a giant is to wear someone else's coat to fight him. Here's the last thing David learned that I want to draw your attention to on his path to and through Goliath. Leaders always knock down the first domino. Leaders always knock down the first domino. David, one of the reasons he's widely known as Israel's best king is he didn't just send out the army to fight, he fought fought on the front line. Look in verse 50, so Goliath's going down. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Watch this next part. Then, after David defeats Goliath, then, the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath in the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Shaarim as far as Gath and Ekron. Get the picture here. Before David takes down Goliath, what was the situation? You had two armies, one on each side of this valley, and all of God's army was intimidated by one man. An entire army of Thousands of God's men were all too intimidated to even go after one. So how in the world do we go from an army of people intimidated to fight one man immediately over to an army of people who are now courageous enough to take out an entire army of men? What happened in between? Here's the answer. David went first. The second they saw the boy take down the warrior, they all bowed up, took their place, and wiped out the Philistine army. But it all started because David had the courage and the faith to take down the giant everybody else ran from. If the leader doesn't do what they alone are called to do, everybody else can't do what they're uniquely created to do. David learned this, and it's part of why he was such a great leader as king in the days to come. Here's the third thing. I want to show you as to why we all need a Goliath. Everyone needs a Goliath to bring God more glory. The bigger the Goliath David stands before, the greater the glory David brings to Goliath when Goliath falls. See, some of us, when we say, okay, Preston, I get it. Uh, I need a foe or two in my life in order for God to do everything he wants to do in me. Okay, so I'm gonna put in my order as though I were at In-N-Out Burger, and here's the specificity of my order. Only, Only many giants. I don't wanna go up against lions and bears. I wanna go up against kitty cats and puppy dogs. I don't want to go up against any giant. Okay, well, there's a problem with that. If you only have the faith to go up against giants who are smaller than you, when you take them down, people will give you all of the credit. But it's only when the little boy whom nobody gives a chance It's only when the boy takes down the undefeated giant that everybody then says, only God. Only God and God's man, God's woman could have done that. Here's another way to say it. The more intimidating the body of water, the more glory God gets when he parts it. Think about it like this. if the Israelites would have taken the same approach that some of you take to only wanting to fight small giants, then here's what they would have said to God. Okay, so you're telling us we have to come up against the body of water with the army of Egyptians coming in to kill us. Then here's our request, give us a puddle. And then when we see the puddle, we'll just... Would God have gotten any glory... If it were a puddle. Here's another question. Would we still be talking about it today if it had been a puddle? We're still talking about it today because it's an only God scenario. So why would you at all be surprised if God let you know, here's how I roll with my people. I walk them into seemingly impossible situations and then I deliver them So that I can get all the glory. Why would you be shocked when God causes a huge Goliath to walk into your life? Preston, is he causing or is he allowing? It doesn't really matter to me. You know what matters to me? What he wants me to do. I don't need to always understand the why. God, why do you have this Goliath in my life? I don't need to understand the why. With hindsight, I'll have the why. Here's what I'm concerned with. What what must I do with this Goliath? Goliaths must be big, because the bigger they are, ever heard the phrase, the harder they fall? Here's the way I would say it. The bigger they are, the louder their fall is in heaven and on earth. Everybody's still talking about the fall of the Red Sea that day. If you're in 17, let's read the first 11 verses. And I want to kind of walk you through what I think this might have looked like in heaven as this went down on the earth. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soca and Judah and Azekah and Ephes Damin. I get extra credit for reading all these names and acting like I'm saying them the right way. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Watch this. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves, but if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Okay, this is how it went down in the earth, but I just wonder how it went down in heaven as it was going down like this on the earth. I wonder, remember, Satan has access to the throne of God. When we read through the book of Job, we absolutely see and understand Satan has access to the throne. Scripture says day and night he's accusing the brethren. So I just wonder, I'm not saying it happened like this, but I can't wait to get to heaven and see what was going on in heaven as this moment in history was going down on the earth. I wonder if if Satan didn't just wander, kind of saunter up to the throne that day and be like, you know what we should do? We should have a little mano-a-mano. I just wonder if the Lord was like, you versus me? I like those odds. Satan's, no, 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 no. No, No. my guy versus your guy. I'll pick my best, you pick yours. And let's just see who's got more strength. Satan says, oh, I got my guy. Goliath of Gath. You ain't got nobody like him. That's my man. Bring me your man. Let's keep going. Verse 40, David picks up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. So apparently, His mockery involved David's size, look, and age. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his lowercase g gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. I just wonder, while this is happening on the earth, if this wasn't what was happening in heaven. Satan sees a little boy walk out to stand in front of his giant. And Satan, acting like he's in the casino of heaven, starts grabbing all of his chips going, oh, I bet all that I have on my man. God, get this this little boy out of here. I said I'll bring my man and you bring your man. And I, I wonder if God didn't just look at Satan and go, why would I send a man when I can do this whole thing with my boy? And so the boy confidently marched out before his giant with his God. So Goliath walks out with his shield bearer. The boy walks out with his God. Let me show it to you. We see it, verse 45. David replies to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Watch this. Today, the Lord will conquer you. David knew God was with him. He says, today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. In my opinion, Satan was all excited because Satan measures the strength of man by the size of man. But God measures the strength of man by man's proximity to God. And that day, David, the boy, walked out in front of Goliath with his God. Here's the fourth thing. This is the last thing. And then we're going to have a little bit of fun before we dismiss. Point number four. Everyone needs a Goliath because it's a DNA thing. If I had a dollar for every child who grew up in church who hears the story of David and Goliath, who grows up to believe that Goliath slaying, giant slaying is a David thing, not a family thing. If I had a dollar for every child who grows up to be an adult who thinks slaying Goliath is only for David, I'd be a very wealthy man. And here's what I need you to understand. The reason everyone needs a Goliath is because slaying Goliaths is in our family's DNA. This is part of what God created us to do. Let me show it to you. Remember, go all the way back to the garden after the fall of man in Genesis 3. Remember, God's cursing the serpent and he says, you'll slither on your belly for all your days and the seed of the woman will crush your head and you will only bruise his heel. Okay, who is the seed God is referring to? Jesus, right? And so it would be easy to say, well, crushing the enemy's head is a Jesus thing. Not only. Go to the New Testament in Luke, Jesus sends out the 72 in pairs, 36 pairs, to do ministry, they come back and they're in awe that the demons listen to them and obey because of the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, relax, don't get all riled up by this. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And don't ever forget what I'm about to tell you. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and they will not hurt you. Listen to me, Jesus was saying, this is a family thing, not just a me thing. So how does this apply to you? If everyone needs a Goliath, And Goliaths aren't just for Davids, they're for every son and daughter of God. How does this really apply to you? I want you to imagine that God goes to David and says, hey, listen, there is an army of giants that I would like to see fall, but it's never going to happen until you knock yours down first. David, are you my guy? David, of course, says yes. Let me show you something that I had never seen in scripture until this week. Second Samuel chapter 21, if you're in 1 Samuel 17, just flip over to 2 Samuel 21 real fast, and we're gonna read seven verses. David doesn't just take down Goliath. David's descendants, Take down Goliath's descendants. 2 Samuel 21, verse 15. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men, and this was toward the end, the very end of David's life, he's still fighting in battle. They were in the thick of battle. David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Banab, fantastic name, was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds. And he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to David's rescue and killed the giant. Then David's men declared, you're not going out to battle with us again, bro. Why risk nothing out the light of Israel? Watch this. I think this is divinely important. God benches David from battle, not because he was bad, but so that his descendants could understand killing giants is not a David thing. It's a family thing. Keep reading, because it gets better. After this, it didn't just happen once. There was another battle against the Philistines at Gob. As they fought, Sibekai from Husha killed Saph, another descendant of the giants. During another battle at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath from Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother, Shemaiah. These four giants were descendants of the giants of Gath. But David and his warriors defeated them. Taking down giants isn't a David thing. It's a family thing. And what if God came to you and said, hey, listen, there's a lineage of giants I want to see go down. But they won't go down at the hands of your children and your children's children until you first take out the giant I set before you. Will you partner with me to conquer it? Everyone needs a Goliath. The huge question, though, is what are you going to do with it?